theme for this year, the theme for this year is propel. Somebody say propel. Amen. Um, and I just want to mention that this theme that we are going to share with you today, um, our leadership is not a strange, they're not strange to this theme. Um, every October, every October, I sit with the leadership of our church and we meet somewhere, a few hundred of us, and uh, our church in Pontiana, our church in Newport Ritchie, and here in Kissimmee, we come together every October. And in October, I let the church know, the leadership know where we're going. What's the vision? What's the theme? Where is God leading us in the coming year? And I think that uh, we do it as a church, but I feel that every family, if, you're, if, you're, if you are part of a household, it's important that you give your family direction as to where your family is going. I think that's so important. And so we as a church, I, every October, the first Friday and Saturday of October, I, I meet with pastors and leaders of the church, and I tell them, this is where we're going come January. And so what you're going to hear today, church, our leadership has been hearing it for the past two and two and a half months. So we are all in. We are all sold out to propel. But I want to bring you alongside with us because I want you to understand that God is going to shift us. God is going to usher us into a realm of greatness, of greatness. And so the theme for this year is propel. And uh, I want to use a portion of scripture as, as an undergird, as a substratum, as a basis or foundation uh, to let you know why I'm bringing this word and why propelling is important for us as a church. Why propelling is important for us as a church. And if you go with me to the book of Revelation, and I'm not going to speak on eschatology or dragons and beasts and all that stuff. Um, at some point, we'll do a series on that. But when you go to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is, is, is a book that's written by one of Jesus' 12 disciples, who is the Apostle John. And the great thing about John, the Apostle, is that John had the blessing of seeing Jesus in three aspects. He saw Jesus when Jesus chose him to be one of the 12. He saw Jesus as a rabbi. He saw Jesus as a teacher. He saw Jesus as a Messiah. But then he gets to see Jesus resurrected in power. So he saw Jesus when he started his ministry. He sees Jesus when he died on the cross and when he rose from the dead. And he rose in a glorified body. And then in Revelation, he sees another aspect of Jesus. The other 11 disciples does not have the privilege that John has when he writes the book of Revelation. John sees Jesus when he was started his ministry. He saw Jesus when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. And then now he sees Jesus in all glory. Because when Jesus goes back to heaven, all of the glory that he let go, Philippians chapter 2. He thought it not robbery to be equal to God, but he lowered himself, took the form of a servant, and died on the cross. All of that glory he left in heaven to come to the earth. When he rises from the dead, he resurrects in power, and he goes back to heaven. When he goes back to heaven, everything he left in heaven, he has it back on. Glory, authority, dominion, all that. So now in Revelation, John sees Jesus the way he was before he came down. And the Bible says in Revelation, he says, and when I saw him, John is saying, when I saw him, I fell as if I was dead. 
Because there was so much glory, there was so much power, there was so much splendor, there was so much authority. And so in John chapter 1, verses 9 through 19, John is talking about his experience with the glory of the risen Savior. He sees Jesus when he starts. He sees Jesus as the Messiah. When he's at the cross, he sees Jesus as the Redeemer. When he raises from the dead, he sees Jesus as the conqueror. And when he sees Jesus in Revelation, he sees Jesus as God. And from that perspective, check this out, he sees all of his glory. And you would think that the goal of God is for us to see his glory. Some of us feel that and think that the reason why we come to church is just to have this moment of splendor and praise and glory and power and, 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 and that's necessary in the life of the church. But that's not the end of the life of a believer. So chapter 1, verses 9 through 19, John sees his glory, his power, and his presence. Chapter 2 of Revelation through chapter 3, God now, through Christ, because God is Christ, Christ begins to give instructions to John to give to the seven churches in Minor Asia. You have the church of Ephesus, Thyatira, Laodicea, Smyrna, Pergamos, Philadelphia, okay, and Sardis. And he's giving instructions to the seven churches. Now, no notice the sequence. First, he shows him his glory, his power, his splendor. But it doesn't die there. Because glory and presence and experience without instruction is just a moment. So after he sees all of this, O-M-U, because he's with God. He's like, O-M-U, right? After he sees all that, then God says, don't get caught up in my glory. There's something I want to tell you. I want to give you instructions. I want to give you direction. So he gives instruction to the seven churches. Here's when he gives instructions to the seven churches in the middle of persecution. When John is writing the letter of Revelation, he's writing it in a time of persecution in the church. Reason why John is writing this letter is because he himself is being persecuted. He is in this island called the island of Patmos. And he is in the island of Patmos because Roman Empire tried to kill him and they weren't able to do so. They put him in a hot pot. I'm getting feedback here. They put him in a hot pot of boiling oil burn him to burn him to die. The guy doesn't die. And so what they do is says, we can't kill the guy. Let's put him in an island somewhere and let him die by natural causes. In that persecution of being in an island by himself, he gets this revelation. So the revelation of Christ comes to John in the middle of persecution. In the middle of persecution, he sees glory. In the middle of persecution, he gets instruction. In the middle, and that's what I'm telling you, church, it doesn't matter what you're going through. I know, I know 2019 was a year of persecution. 2019, for some of y'all, was a year of struggle. It was a year of pain. But I'm here to tell you, in between the pain, the struggles, the tear, and the melancholic experience, open your eyes to see the glory of the Lord. Because somewhere in between the pain, he's got a word of instruction to take you to another dimension. So he gives instructions to the seven churches in the middle of persecution. And then after Christ instructs the apostle John in what to tell the churches, 
Then he challenges him. I want you to see this. John sees the glory, the power, the splendor. As we these past four years in this church, we have seen the glory, the power, and the splendor. Every single Sunday in this church, since we've been here for the past four years, one thing we have not lacked has been the presence, the power, and the splendor of God. We are a witness that God is in this place. But having the presence, the splendor, and the glory of God cannot be the end of a believer. And so that's why we come and we hear, we experience, but then we receive instructions. And then after John receives the instruction, look at what Christ tells John. John chapter 1, he sees glory. Chapter 2, chapter 3, instructions. Chapter 4, now there's a command. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, after this, after what? After glory, after instructions, after the message to the churches. After this, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I heard, I first heard, speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. Somebody say, come up. Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. So what does John do? Number one, he sees glory, presence, and splendor. Number two, God gives him instructions. Number three, he, he is commissioned by Christ to elevate himself. He is commissioned by Christ to come up. Because there's some things God wants to give to John that John is not able to embrace and take a hold of as long as he's in this level in his life. So what is God telling John by telling him to come up? He is telling him, I need you to propel. I need you to propel from where you are to where I want you to go. I need you to go from where, because to get where I want you to go, you're not just going to do it by feelings. To get to where I want you to go, it's not just going to happen, you know, just by hearing. We hear a word of God every Sunday in this church. And some of us continue to do the things we're not supposed to do. So it's not because we don't get instruction. It's just that we don't propel ourselves from where we are to where we ought to go. So John experienced immediate results the moment he decides to go up. And I feel that this year God is telling us, come up. Come up in your marriage. Come up in your relationship with me. Come up here in where I want to take you. Elevate yourself from where you are to where I want to take you. Today the Lord is saying, I gave you my presence. I gave you my glory. I gave you my splendor. I've been giving you instruction. And now I want to let you know that now there's a place I want to take you. But you have to come up. He says, come up. Now look at what happens to John the moment he makes it his business to propel. To propel. Chapter 4, verse 2 through 11. It says, at once. What does that mean? Right away. Because once you obey God at his word, 
Once you obey, no, come, no, no, behave, Gabby, behave. He says, at once I was in the spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes and lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are all symbolic of Christ and things that happens. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes. What does that mean? That they physically had eyes? Living cre Angels don't have literal eyes. It's metaphorical that they see everything. And they had eyes that were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, which represents kingdom, dominion. The second was like an ox, which represents power and strength. The third was like a face of a man, which represents consciousness and human intellect. And the fourth was like a flying eagle, which represents vision. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, look what happens, honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay down their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. I want you to see this. Persecution, that's where John's at, island of Patmos. God reveals his glory. God gives him his instructions. God challenges him to go up. And when he's up, now his persecution loses its place at the light of God's presence because of his obedience in propelling to where God wants to take him. What am I telling you, church? Some of us, we're going to have an instantaneous turnaround in our walk, in our families, in our purpose, and in our resources. Others, we're going to continue to struggle in our process and in our journey. But what changes your life is not the immediate transformation that's going to happen. It is your perspective of seeing Jesus in the middle of your crisis simply as you and I obey him in the midst of everything contrary to your reality here in your context. Look at what happens. So 2020, church. For us, is a year of propel. So let me give you the definition of the word so we can at least know what the heck that means, right? <laughs> propel means to drive, means to push, or to cause to move in a particular direction, normally in the direction heading north. Propel means to push, to drive forward. Propel means you cannot stay stagnant. You cannot stay here for the rest of your life. Propel means I need to live in a constant mobilization process. Propel means I need to move forward. 
And so we are propelling forward towards our destiny, church. We all have been called by God to do more than what we're doing right now in this very moment. Everyone in this room has the potential to do more. Everyone in this room has the potential to serve God at a better level. Everyone in this room has the potential to give more of your life, of your time, of your resources, of your finances, of your gifts. Everyone in this room, God is calling us to propel. Now, we can do what John, you know what, John, listen, hey, Jesus, I'm here in the island. I got burnt up. I'm crispy. I feel like Kentucky Fried Chicken number three. I, you know, I can't do nothing. You understand my circumstance. But in the middle of John being crispied up like a Kentucky Fried Chicken, when God tells him to come up, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't give an excuse because of his pain and his hurting. No, no, I'm going to make it. And this crispy self of mine is going to submit to the... If we live the rest of our lives justifying the pain of our past, we will always stay where we've always been. But in the middle of our crisis, in our pain, and our turmoil, we decide to take heed to God's command and we get up. I promise you, you're going to see glory. You're going to see honor. You're going to see splendor. You're going to see rubies. You're going to see wing with the angels. You're going to see provision. You're going to see miracles. Listen to me, church. So to go deeper with God... Here's what we need, and I'm going to challenge you today to need to go deeper in God, to propel in God. We need a holy dissatisfaction with where you're at. To propel, you need to be sick and tired of being where you're at. You know what I'm praying to God this year? I'm praying that God gets you sick and tired of being in the little circles you've been in all your life. Some of us, we can't go forward because we know that what's keeping us backward is the cliques and the hangouts and the posses and the homies and the friends and the table talks that we know don't honor God. I pray that the next time you go into that same circle, you feel like throwing up, you get nauseous. Because if we want to go where God wants to take us, we have to become dissatisfied with where we're at. If we want to see what God wants to show us, we have to get dissatisfied with where we're at. Ain't, ain't no way in the world I'm going to see God's glory and I'm living in a life of sin. Ain't no way in the world God's going to give me greater things and I'm living a lukewarm life. Ain't no way in the world. That's what Jesus is saying. I got bigger, better, and greater things for you, but I'm not going to go down. I already went down and died on the cross. I already went down and defeated the devil. I already went down and gave you victory. Now you got to come up so that you can see what I have for you. A holy dissatisfaction with where you're at. Job 17, 9 says, Nevertheless, the righteous will hold to their ways. And those with clean hands will grow stronger. I'm praying that God gives us a show me your glory experience that Moses had. Moses, had. Moses, Moses saw God through a pillar of fire every night. Because they were in the wilderness, there was no light. So God every night will put a pillar of fire to give them light and to give them warmth. Every day. Can you imagine that? They don't have to pay KUA bill. God just brought fire. And then God brought them a pillar of cloud to give them shade in the wilderness, in the heat. And then when they got thirsty, God gave them water to come out of a rock. And when they got hungry, God brought bread from heaven and he called it manna. And Moses having all of that, 
I think that's more than enough reason to be satisfied and content and complacent with what you have. In the middle of all of that, Moses says to God, God, show me your glory. I've eaten of your manna. I've drank of your water. I've gotten the cloud, and I've gotten your heat. But I know this more, and I want more, and I want more. God has been doing so many wonderful things in this church these past four years. And we baptize people, and we've done Hope Fest, and we've done events, and you've been to all of these things. But we cannot be, we got to be careful that we become comfortable in what God has done in the past and pitch our tent what God has done in the yesterday. We got to do like Moses. Thank you for the pillar, but I want more. Thank you for the fire, but I want more. Thank you for the water, but I want more. And I'm going to propel myself to the place where I can see your power, your purpose, and your goodness in my life. Now, to have this show me your glory experience, because look at what happens. When Moses told God, show me your glory, and God showed him his back. God showed him his back. Now, we all know that God don't have a back because God is a spirit. So he didn't see God's back. You know, some of y'all backs got pimples. God don't got pimples in his back. But <laughs> to see God's back is to see what God has done in the past. To see God's back is to see God's provision. But look at what happens when Moses sees God's glory. When he comes down the mountain, the Bible says that he literally had to cover his face. He had to change his attire. He had to change his clothing. Because once you go up, oh, once you propel to go to where God is. Listen to me, church. So the Lord is calling us to go up. But in order to go up, you have to dress differently. To go where God wants you to go, you got to dress different. If you want to go to outer space, you can't go with Jordan's 11. And some nice white pants and a propelled shirt. This is nice for earth. But to go to the realm of space, I got to change my way of dressing so that I can be apt or qualify to go into a realm I have never been to before. So, 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 so every astronaut that has ever gone to outer space because the law of space don't apply in the law of earth because here we got gravity in space there's no gravity here i just breathe in breathe out in space i need a whole machinery and a whole system design so that i can live and enjoy another dimension outside of my human existence so so in order to go to outer space i can't uber to space I got to submit to the law of space and change my way of dressing. So here's what I got to do. I got to change. I got to change. If I want to propel, I got to change. If I want to see more, I got to change. 
So I got to go to the NASA Space Center and be there for a couple of months in training. And I got to be there and do my thing and learn how to live on the water and go through this whole system and put on a helmet and a mask and an outfit. Why? Because this is preparing me to propel me higher. So now... Everybody's going to Disney and downtown Disney. Everybody's going to, to the parks. And I'm not going to the parks. I'm in this white building with lab rat uniform. And everybody's just looking at me, machines and buttons and lights and sound. Because I'm getting ready to go to a realm that nobody else can go. So now, so I got to dress different. Because I want to propel to where God wants to take me. So now, I look, listen. Listen, if you were to see me in, if you, if you were to see me in Cape Canaveral, in the Nassau building, with this outfit, you swear I know about physics. You swear I know about aviation. You swear I know about the cosmos and the galaxies. You swear I know, I know math, and, but, but, but why? Because my uniform lets people know that there's something about me that makes me different. So, 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 so I'm here to tell you, God is telling you, God is telling you, God is telling you, I need you to propel. But to come to my world, you can't come to my world dressed with your mess and your sin and your junk. To come to my world, you can't keep living life the way you're living life and expect me to give you. What I, no, 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 no. I have to leave all of that to come down to the earth because to be where you're going to be, you need to be. Oh, listen to me. If we're going to propel where God wants to take us, there are some things we got to take off. And then he says, this outfit, this uniform is going to protect you in outer space. And not only do I need you to take that, and put it on. Now I need you to put on a helmet or put on your casket because where I'm going to take you, you can't breathe on your own will. Where I'm going to take you, you can't, e you can't even catch your breath on your own volition. So I need you to put on this helmet. We have landed. One step for mankind. If I were to start walking down Thacker Avenue, like looking like this, I would look like an idiot. People laugh at me. People will talk about me. But because I'm not from this world, it doesn't matter what they talk about me. You got to understand that God wants to propel you to another realm of glory. God wants you to look like this on the heavenlies, but look normal in the heavenly. Listen, listen, listen. When you start propelling into the image of Christ, the people around you are going to look at you like a weirdo. But when you start propelling into the image of Christ, heaven's going to look at you like a citizen. And you're going to be walking in the power, provision, and purpose of God. Now, why is this important for an astronaut? To protect his ears, to protect his vision, to protect him from breathing. And let me tell you, some of us, we need to start protecting our ears from comments and things people have been whispering in our ears that the devil is using to keep us stuck and paralyzed and hurting. Some of us, God is going to protect our vision.
so that we no longer fall into the trap of living things by sight, but that we can start living our lives by faith. Some of us, God's going to protect our mouth so that no unwholesome talk can come out of our mouth. And this is why God is saying, come up so that you can look different, talk different, see different, think different, be different, be living a life in the power of the Spirit of God. He's calling us, church. He's calling us to be different. You can't go to outer space with Yeezys on and Jordans. First of all, nobody know who Yeezy is, by the way, in space. But you must cover your body. You must cover your head. Because this new atmosphere requires change. This new realm God wants to take you requires a change from your life. So to propel to a greater level, here's what we have to do. We have to become uncomfortable being where we are. We have to be uncomfortable. Have to be uncomfortable. Things that used to not bother us has got to start bothering us. Things we used to do that did not honor God, that has to start bothering us in order to propel. And so he's causing us to look different, live different, see different, talk different, think different, live different. And that's why Jesus tells Christ, Christ tells Jesus, John, come up, man, come up. Come up to my level. Come up to where I am. Come up, propel. Would you propel to where I want you to go so that you can see what no one has seen? He did that to the Jews, by the way. He did it to the Jews. When you read the book of Daniel, you're going to hear this thing called the Babylonian captivity. The Babylonian captivity was when the empire of Babylon took over Israel, Jerusalem, and they took over the land and they took all of the citizens, the, the wealthy, the smart, the intelligent people of Israel, and they took them into Babylon and made slaves out of them. That's what's called the Babylonian captivity. They made slaves out of them. And in, their, in that process of being slaves for many, many years, that's where we see Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are Babylonian names that were given to, Babel, to these three men. You see, Daniel grew up and his ministry began in the Babylonian captivity. But then God, in his grace, he brings the people of Israel back out of the captivity and he brings them back into the land. So everybody, every Jew's dream was to live in Israel and stay back in their home and come back to their house. And it is, it is when everybody's back home that Jesus shows up. And Jesus tells them after he empowers them, after he dies on the cross and raises from the dead, right before he goes to heaven, he propels them to change. He propels them to become uncomfortable with where they're at. Now, where they're at is their home. And look how he challenges them. These guys wanted to stay in Jerusalem because they were in the diaspora. But in Matthew 28, Jesus tells his followers, he says, go into all the world, make disciples, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells them, You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Look what he says. 
you will be my witnesses. In other words, go to Jerusalem. When he said Jerusalem, the Jews were like, oh, yeah, baby. But it didn't, it didn't stop there. He said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. What is Jesus doing by telling the, the Jews who were Christians this command? He is making them uncomfortable. Because God doesn't give us what he gives us for us to cocoon it within ourselves. He gives us what he gives us to make us uncomfortable to reach a world that does not know Jesus. He makes us uncomfortable to propel us into a realm that others may see the glory of God in our lives. Why? Because there's a destiny that God had for all of these Jews when he told them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I'm here to tell you that we all have a destiny set before us, but our destiny will make us uncomfortable in our current position. But I promise you, as you start walking in proximity to the purpose of God, you're going to realize why God had to make you uncomfortable to show you the bigger, the greater, and the stronger things he has in store for your life. Our destiny requires us going towards a destination. And this is why Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, he says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is worthy, I'm oh sorry, looks back, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. He says, no one who puts his hand in the plow, what's a plow? It's not, you know when Batman used to fight? Pow, poo, that's not plow, that's not that. A plow was a device they would use to create crevices on the earth so that farmers can sow seeds on the earth. So a plow was connected to an oxen. An oxen is a big ox, right? And then attached to the ox, there's this machine, is this, this mechanical device that has like a spike of iron in the bottom that, is, that, that you can press it into the dirt so that as the, as the oxen is pulling the plow, you are pushing the plow so that the, the, the blade could go through the dirt so that it can create a crevice and a trench so that as I'm pulling the, pushing the plow down, the ox is pulling forward, I'm creating a trench so that the farmer behind me is now throwing seeds, seeds, seeds. So that that seed eventually could become a tree and the tree could eventually give fruit and the fruit could eventually reproduce and multiply. Jesus is saying... No one who puts his hand in the plow and looks back. Now, why, why you cannot look back if you got your hand on the plow? Because if you got your hand on the the person who was plowing, as long as you keep looking forward, you're giving direction. You're making sure that the line is not crooked. You're making sure that the line is straight. But if you start talking about, yo, holla, hey, what's up, man? The, the line is going to zigzag. And if the line zigzags and I throw the seed, when the seed becomes a trunk and the roots go under the earth, they're going to be so interconnected because the zigzag is crazy that it will never produce fruit in the tree. Jesus says, if you want to propel you got to make sure that once you put your hand on this thing, you can't go back to the world. You can't go back to living a life of sin. You can't go back. Once you put your hand on the plow, look forward. Go forward. Move forward. Because anyone who puts his hands on the plow and looks back 
is not fit to enter and be part and to serve in the kingdom of God. Let me tell you, once you grab that plow, there's always a risk of looking backward. Every destination, listen to me, will come with distraction. Every time you say yes to Jesus, have you noticed that every time you made a commitment for Jesus, all the girls want to talk to you now? Every time you make a decision for Jesus, yo, you want some? Every time you make a decision for Jesus, yo, yo, let's go do this real quick. Every, every time you decide to grab this plow and go forward, the enemy puts a distraction. But, but here's what happens when you're plowing and you got your head covered and you got your eyes covered and you don't let nothing get in your way. Talk about me all you want, do whatever you want, but I'm moving forward, I'm moving onward, I'm moving in Jesus' name. in the church. Every destination will come with distractions. Which is why we must be target. We must be target minded. As we walk forward, we must be target minded. That's what Paul says, fix our eyes on Christ. The author and the finisher of our faith. We must be target minded. But also through our gravitational pull, draw others to Christ. That in our consistency in being holy, listen to me church, in your consistency in being holy, you'd be surprised how many people you would draw to Jesus because of your integrity. You would be surprised how many people would want to follow Jesus because you're faithful and consistent and you're pulling that plow and you're not going backwards. And like, oh my God, after we tempted him, after we offered him, after he's still coming to church and being, well, what is it? Listen, when you live a life of integrity, you gravitate, people gravitate to you and see God in you. That's why we are propelling forward in our capacity to sow in order to grow. So this theme of propel, I want to let you know, church, it's prophetic. This theme, propel, I didn't take it on my sleeves and go to the dictionary and look for work. No, no, no. God gave me this word for this year. For this church. This word God gave me, it was July, whenever we had youth camp. When was camp? July of, the, of last year we had camp. In the morning my wife and I were going to drive, get breakfast. Because camp breakfast ain't, ain't cut it for me. <laughs> we went to get breakfast. On our way to get breakfast, I got a message from a friend who I haven't seen in 20 years. Last time I saw him was in 1994, 95. And he hit me up on Instagram, on Messenger. He said, Pastor Gabby, the Lord gave me a word that I believe is for your church. And the last Sunday of this month, I'm going to share the word verbatim. What God gave me, and I'm going to share it to the church, and we're going to declare it the last Sunday of this month. But he gave me a word for the church. And the word he gave me was propel. And as soon as I read the message, long message, as soon as I read the message, I told my wife, this is the word for this year. This is what God is telling us. But I want to let you know that when God gives a prophetic word, there are some prophecies that are unconditional prophecies. Which means God said it's going to happen and it's going to happen. No matter what you do, no matter, it's just going to happen. But then you have conditional prophecies. Which means that the prophecy will come to pass only if you do what you got to do. 
And some of us, we've been getting word and prophetic word, and God spoke to us, and you're going to be this, and you're going to be a pastor, and you're going to be a prophet, and God's going to use you, and get ready, and I'm going to open doors, and do you see a luggage? Go get your passport. You're going to be traveling. But it's not, getting a word is not enough. What are you doing with the word God gave you? So God gave us a conditional prophetic word. And, 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 just, and just to give you, because I believe that for everything we say, there's got to have a biblical basis. Because we, we live by the word of God. And in the Bible, you're going to see a conditional prophecy that God gave Israel that was incumbent on them doing what God said to do. Look what he says. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 13. God, through, God through, through Moses, is speaking to Israel. He says... If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all of his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come to you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks, your basket and your netting trow will be blessed. What is he saying? Netting trow, basket, wound. That means your, your fertility, abundance, resources will be blessed. Verse 6. You will be blessed when you come in and you will be blessed when you go out. And we, all, we all want all this. The Lord will grant that the enemy who rise up against you will be defeated before you. Don't we do that all the time? Lord, kill him. Lord, no, no. They will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord, your God, will bless you in the land he is giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people. As he promised you on oath, if, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience, this is the condition, to him. Then all the peoples on the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of the ground. In the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, the Lord will open the heavens and the storehouses of his bounty to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow to none. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands, it's a condition, to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully Follow them. You will always be on top and never at the bottom. So we all want to be on top. We all want to prosper. We all want to be the head. We all want to see our enemies scattered in seven different directions. But the question is, are you submitting yourself to the word of God and propelling in obedience, plowing forward and not looking backward? Because only those will see that prophecy come to pass. So God is telling new birth, I am going to propel you. But it is incumbent and conditioned to you and I making it our business to grab the word God gives us so that it can come to pass in our lives. So the word propel new birth. God has told us that the Holy Spirit and fire of God is launching us forward. 
That's what God told me. And you're going to hear it at the end, of, the end of the month. The Lord told me he's going to propel many people into their calling this year. He's going to propel many people into ministry. He's going to propel many people into their career. You've been trying to make it. And God is telling me to tell you that this year he's going to propel you to your career this year so that, listen, not so that you can be rich, so that his purpose may be realized in the hearts of those that follow and propel. Listen to me, church. God says he will begin to rearrange schedules. Pastor, I can't go because my schedule, he's going to change that. Pastor, I can't get involved because, you know, my schedule is too tight. God's going to rearrange schedule. And when you start rearranging schedules, don't book yourself to other stuff. It's God making a way to propel you forward. God is going to rearrange schedules. He's going to move things in and out of your life. He's going to move you from one place to another, move you out of a job or relationship into a more beneficial one, from a volunteering into a full-time ministry. He will do whatever he needs to do to prepare you for your destiny, even the provision and the resources, material, equipment, property, and finances. The Holy Spirit Church will drive and push and even springboard us forward only if we allow ourselves to propel into God's Now, to propel, we need to catapult. And catapult requires three things, and I'll talk about that next Sunday. Catapult requires three things. Number one, height. Number two, acceleration. And number three, distance. And we're going to talk about that next Sunday. But God is telling us like he told John. In the island of Patmos, this little pity party self burnt up. God tells him, come up. Get out of your excuses. Get out of your situation. Because there's bigger things I want to show you. There's greater things I have for you. New birth, new birth, new birth, Shabbat new birth, bigger things are coming towards our way. New birth, God is about to do things we don't have no idea. New birth, God is opening a door of glory. New birth, big things are coming, but we got to dress different. We got to look different. We got to walk different. But new birth is coming, new birth. But it's only going to come to those who are plowing, to those who are looking forward, to those who are willing to look different for the world, but to be accepted in heaven. So the question is, who is willing to propel this year with me? Who is willing to move forward with me? Who is willing to give more of their time with me this year? Who is willing to go into the streets this year? Who is willing to give more of their finances this year? Who is willing to give more of their life this year? This is the year to propel.